Well, good morning. Uh, It's good to be with all of you. We're about a week, week and a half into the new year, and I'm wondering, have you taken down all of your Christmas decorations yet? All right, let's, let's show of hands how many of you still have your decorations up. All right, um, I, I am among those. Uh, we, I think, are, are maybe going to try to start getting to work on that this afternoon. Um, something that is really fun and amusing about putting up your decorations and then going through them again to take them back down is just the experience of, of looking at all of them and kind of touching and feeling and seeing all of them. If your family is anything like mine was growing up, then your Christmas tree probably has a few different classes of ornaments on them. There, there are those beautiful ornaments, right? These are the ones that truly are lovely to look at and hang up. You're proud of them. They're great. Um, and then there are those sentimental ornaments. You know, they are the ones that mark some kind of special moment or occasion, like a couple's or a baby's first Christmas, or maybe one that's you got on some vacation or trip that you went on at some point, and so you pull that out and you remember, oh yeah. Um, so that's another kind. And then there are the craft ornaments. Do you know about these? Uh, you know, and th- they are decisively not beautiful. Uh, and they're not particularly sentimental because you don't really remember who made them or where they came from. Uh, but, you know, for some reason, someone made it ages ago and you just keep on putting it up year after year. You know what I'm talking about? Right? I mean, it, like one of your kids glued some beans to a piece of paper and then shoved a pipe cleaner through it. And now you hang it on your Christmas tree every year. Right? These are those craft ornaments. Right? Uh, and you have no idea where they came from, but here they are. They appear every year uh, to celebrate the arrival of Christ on earth. Here they are, right? And so, so we definitely had some of those in my family uh, that went up every year. And another tradition that my family started back when we were kids was sitting around to read Twas the Night Before Christmas on Christmas Eve. We would, we would gather around and we'd read this great Christmas poem together, you know, and, and this is something that we did as kids. And these things are, are really not just Christmas time things for kids, I think. Arts and crafts, as well as story time, are our classic childhood activities, right? I remember my elementary school art class where the teacher methodically taught us how to glue beans to construction paper, right? Uh, We all had that. Or I remember story time where uh, we would gather around our teacher's rocking chair and she would read chapters from books to us. It was one of my favorite times of the day. Uh, and then, you know, at home, there were coloring books to have or bedtime stories to hear before you went to sleep at night. You know, did, did you have any of these kinds of things when you were growing up or maybe that you did with your own children when they were growing up? Different crafts, story time, things like this, right? I, you know, I think it's a great thing to introduce kids to creativity through arts and, and through stories, But I think we have done ourselves a great disservice by relegating this to kids' stuff. And we don't only do this in school or at home. I think we've often done it in church as well, 
right? Kids hear Bible stories and then they draw pictures while adults go to Bible class to talk about theology and take notes, right? But it was Jesus who said, let the little children come to me, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of heaven belongs. And he really lived that. He really lived that way. When Jesus taught, it was rarely, uh, almost never systematic theology or bullet point sermons. Rather, Jesus taught in pictures and in stories. He would say the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, like a, a treasure hidden in a field, like a fine pearl. Or he would say something like, once upon a time, there was a good Samaritan, or a prodigal son, or a sower who went to sow some seeds. Right? This is how Jesus teaches. And so for the next several weeks, we are going to be exploring some of these parables, these stories that Jesus told. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 is where we're going to be today and for a little while. Uh, And as you're turning there, uh, I'll share with you, many of you are familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, right? This is probably Jesus' most well-known sermon. We find it in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. It's the longest sermon that you find in Matthew, uh, and uh, it has some of Jesus' most well-known sayings. But what you might not be as familiar with is that Matthew actually records four other sermons, Uh, You find another sermon in chapter 10 that is sort of this missionary-themed sermon in which Jesus instructs his disciples before he sends them out to proclaim the good news. And then in chapter 18, there's another sermon that's kind of about community life where Jesus teaches his followers about humility and about forgiveness. And then in chapter 24, there's a sermon about the end of the age where Jesus teaches about faithfulness and endurance. But another is chapter 13. And this is where we're going to be spending some time for the next few weeks. It's right in the middle of all of these. And this is a sermon that Matthew records that's made up entirely of parables. It is just one parable after another that Jesus tells. And so this morning, we're going to read a good chunk of it. We're going to read verses 1 through 23. This includes this first parable that Jesus tells, uh, and then also some comments that Jesus makes about that parable. So let's look at this picture. Let's listen to this story. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Matthew 13, beginning in verse 1. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground. For they did not have much soil. 
And they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. And then the disciples came and asked him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For to those who have, more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. The reason I speak to them in parables is that seeing they do not perceive, and hearing they do not listen, nor do they understand. With them indeed is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah that says, you will indeed listen, but never understand. And you will indeed look, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing. And they have shut their eyes so that they might not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a little while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. And as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for sharing these stories, painting these pictures, inviting us into them. God, I pray that as we consider these words this morning, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to begin by giving you all a little bit of insight into my own process in preparing for this morning, uh, for, for this week. You see, I, I knew that we would be beginning a series uh, about the parables in Matthew. And so I read through Matthew 13 and started thinking about where to focus for this week. And at first, I thought, 
that this week would mostly be kind of an introduction to the parables. Uh, And so maybe we could focus on that conversation that Jesus has right in the middle of our passage when his disciples come to him and ask, why do you talk in parables? You know, this is verses 10 through 17. And so we could start there, and then maybe next week we'd begin going through the parables, you know, jump back to the, the story of the sower and that kind of thing. But that's not actually where Jesus starts, right? He doesn't begin with a conversation about parables. Jesus starts with a parable. And the conversation about parables follows. And not only that, but, but if you notice, that conversation about the parables is sandwiched between the original telling of the story and then the interpretation that Jesus gives as he retells the story. Did you notice that? It's kind of this, this sandwich. There are sort of three sections to that passage that we read. There's the parable, the conversation about the parable, and then the interpretation of the parable. And that's not just how it goes in Matthew. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell this story the same way. All of them record the parable, followed by this conversation about why parables, and then the interpretation of the parable. And when you see this happening again and again in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you can see that this all of these parts are meant to go together. This, this really is like a sandwich, like, like an Oreo. We can't just pull out the cream filling, right? We've got to look at this whole thing, all three parts, the way that Jesus told it. And so one of the commentaries that I was reading this week as I was thinking about it and preparing uh, points all of this out, that these three parts all go together. And they all appear, appear together this way in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And, and not only that, this is also the first full parable that appears in all three of these Gospels. This is, this is Jesus' introduction to parables. And so drawing on all of that, the commentary went on to say, this is the parable about parables. This is the parable of parables. It's the parable that Jesus told first. It's the parable with which Jesus chose to explain the purpose of speaking in parables. And it is one of the only ones that Jesus actually gives an interpretation for. And so this parable of the sower is meant, I think, to instruct us in how we read parables, how we approach them. And I think there may be another clue here as well that's a little more subtle. You see, the word parable is made up of two Greek words, para and balo, which literally means to throw alongside, you know, to to throw next to. And the idea is that you're throwing this picture or this story alongside what you're teaching about. You know, kind of like we would use a metaphor or a simile, Uh, that you're teaching this idea, and then you illustrate it with a parable. You sort of throw the parable alongside it. But I think there's a double meaning going on. Because not only do parables throw pictures alongside the ideas that are being taught, but this particular parable, the sower is throwing 
seed alongside different kinds of soil. So it really is a parable about parables. It is a parable about throwing seed out alongside different kinds of soils, about parables being thrown out alongside people. And they're listening. They're hearing of that story. So let's take a look a little bit more deeply at this parable. On the surface, we've already said, it is about a farmer sowing seeds for his crops, a common activity for common people. Jesus' listeners would have been very familiar with this kind of activity. They would have had their own experiences with the work of farming that sometimes led to a great harvest and sometimes did not. So this is the story on the surface. But I don't think Jesus is trying to give agricultural advice. He's not espousing economic wisdom. He's not trying to tell people how to farm or which stocks to invest in or anything like that. It becomes very clear that beyond the surface, this story is about seeing and listening. It is about hearing the parables. And we see this at the beginning and the end of the parable. Jesus opens in verse 3 with a proclamation. Some translations begin with, listen, a sower went out to sow. This is what we read. But more literally, it is actually look rather than listen. Some translations actually say, behold. Right? So Jesus opens with an urge to look. Look at this. And then he ends the parable in verse 9 by saying, let anyone with ears hear. Let them listen. And so this parable is ultimately about looking and listening. It's about seeing and hearing. And we see this theme emerge as Jesus continues when his disciples ask him, why are you teaching in parables? And in verse 13, he says to them, the reason I speak in parables is that seeing they do not perceive and hearing they do not listen, nor do they understand. And this is a quotation from Isaiah chapter 6. And then he goes on to say in verse 16 again, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. And so these parables are meant to be seen and to be heard. And there is another word that he used there. Not only seen and heard, but understood, right? This is how Jesus uh, then goes on to explain and interpret the parable. In verse 19, he says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, you know, it is like this kind of soil and, and that kind of soil, so on and so forth. But then at the end, in verse 23, the good soil is described as the one who hears the word and understands it. So the first three soils hear, but don't understand. And the good soil is the only one that hears and understands. So there are three ways to hear the word, but, but to miss it. So these are all these things, these words that are, that are popping up. You've got seeing and hearing and understanding, right? 
And so what are some of the ways we can hear the word but miss it, but not understand it? Well, the first one is the first soil who has heard the word, but that word has been snatched away. And I think this is the context that we often find ourselves in within our culture. These are the people we run into who have heard something of Christianity, but they've only maybe seen caricatures of it on TV. Or, you know, maybe they have experienced it, but it's actually been quite a harmful experience that they had with the church. And so they walk away from faith or they reject it altogether. And maybe, maybe that's you or maybe that's been you. And you're just barely hanging on, trying to sort through what's true, what's not true. And you see, what I, what I want to share in this is that that bad experience with the church, it's real. It, it's real. Many have had that. Many have, have tasted that. It, it is real, but it is not true. It may be real, but it is not true. It did not truly represent the goodness of the gospel. This is hearing the word, but not understanding it. Looking at it, but not really seeing its beauty. And so if that's you, my encouragement is to hold on, to keep listening, to keep looking, and to behold the beauty of the kingdom of heaven. So that's the first soil. The second soil is the one who hears the word, receives it with joy, but has no root. So it ultimately withers up. And I think this second soil is the kind that good churchgoers risk becoming. Because they're disciplined in hearing the word week in and week out. But after hearing the sermon every week, they say, oh, that was nice. That was good. What a nice service. The word has been heard, and it's even been heard joyfully. But it has not gone deep. It has not penetrated. It has not transformed. You see, the word of God is something to be joyful about. But it's not just the joy of, oh, that's nice. It is a joy that can shake us to our core, a joy that can lead us to tears of repentance and of rejoicing and forgiveness. The kind of joy that turns our life upside down, that transforms. And so, may this worship, these sermons, this time that we share together week after week, not just be nice. I hope that it can go deep. And that we can find ourselves transformed every time we come into contact with the word of God, with the good truth of his gospel. So this is the second kind of soil. The third soil is the one who hears the word and sprouts up, but then is choked out by the thorns of worldly cares and wealthy desires. 
And I think this is the kind of soil that well-off Americans are probably at most risk of becoming. That we were even reflecting on a little bit earlier this morning, that American dream, right, that we can get so caught up in. You know, we may go to church or profess some kind of faith, but really we're just looking to be entertained, to follow the trends of our culture, to stay comfortable, to become rich. You know, we print in God we trust on our dollar bills to make us feel a little more faithful, but it's really the dollar bills that we're after, right? The American church, I think, is at risk often of evaluating itself based on attendance and giving or the entertainment value of its songs and sermons. But really, that's just dressing up our culture in religious attire. It's not faith. It was Jesus who said, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. And so hearing the word of God should cause us to use our resources of time and money differently. It should lead us to a stance of service and generosity toward one another and toward our neighbors across the streets and around the world. Because otherwise, we're just hearing the word, but not understanding it. And so finally, the fourth soil is the good soil. This is the one that hears and understands. The one who bears fruit and yields a harvest. So what does it mean to hear and understand? What does that look like? What is meant by understanding? Well, I think we need to look a little bit deeper and go a little bit beyond our modern-day Western definitions. Because in Scripture, knowledge and understanding have far deeper, far more embodied meanings than we take those words to mean today. You know, when we think of knowing something or understanding something, we tend to think of ideas. We think of something that we can describe, something that we can explain, some fact we can recite or formula that we can jot down. But in Scripture, knowledge and understanding are deep and they are embodied for example, in Scripture, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and had a son. When Scripture says this, it does not mean that Adam just knew some fact about Eve. It does not mean that he had just recently been introduced to her. It is a deep, embodied knowing. And this is what I think Jesus means when he talks about those who hear the word and understand it. He does not mean that in order to be his follower, you need to have a high enough IQ or GPA. 
He's not talking about people with high SAT scores or those who have degrees in literature and narrative and can look at these parables and explain what they all mean. It's not the point. Those who hear and understand are those who not only explain the parable, but the people who hear it and know it. They hear it and they live it deeply embodied and their lives bear fruit. And this makes sense of what Jesus says in verse 12. For to those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But those who have nothing, even what they have, will be taken away. He's not talking about economics when he says this, right? This saying is so confusing, it sounds completely contrary to what he said whenever he said that the meek would inherit the earth. Here he's saying the ones that don't have will have even less. He's not talking about stuff, economics. He's talking about understanding and not just knowledge, but that embodied experiential understanding. Those who truly understand, who live the kingdom of God, they will enter into this kingdom more and more deeply every day. But those who do not live the kingdom cannot help but wander farther and farther from it. I think this is what Jesus is saying. And all of this is why I think Jesus tells parables. Why does he tell them? So that we might see and hear, but more than that, understand. Jesus teaches in pictures, and in stories. Because they are not just ideas to think about. They're not just facts to learn. They're not just formulas to repeat. Parables are pictures that we enter into. Parables are stories that we are called to live in our own lives. Whenever Jesus tells parables, he is creating a world that we are invited to inhabit. We're invited to live in the world of these stories. They don't merely stir our thoughts. They call forth our actions. This is what it is to hear and understand. Parables are not only heard, they're seen, right? That's why he says, he opens up by saying, look, they're pictures that we can see. And so this is my hope for us as a church, as followers of Jesus, is that as we dig through these pictures that Jesus has painted for us, as we listen to the stories that he tells, these parables, may we not just look 
and not just hear, but may we understand. May we enter into them, be shaped by them, and really live the kingdom of heaven. May it be so. Amen.